The monoliths have been watching us. They gave humankind the evolutionary kick it needed to survive at the dawn of time. In 1999, humans discovered a second monolith on the moon. Now in the year 2001, the SS Discovery and its crew, Captains Dave Bowman and Frank Poole, and their onboard computer, HAL 9000, must discover what alien force is watching Earth. But during the journey, HAL develops paranoia. Coming in at number 15 on AFI's Top 100 Movies is 2001, A Space Odyssey. So raise your glass. Here's drinking with you, kid. That's a great intro. It really is a great intro. Um, <laughs> all right. So our drink today, well, welcome everyone. First of welcome. all, so sorry. Thank you. Um, our drink today is from drinksfeed.com. And the ingredients, it is one shot Bacardi 151 proof rum, one shot of Malibu rum, one shot pineapple juice, orange juice, grenadine, and cherries. You fill a glass with ice and add shots of Bacardi and Malibu, add a splash of pineapple juice and top with orange juice, add grenadine for color and garnish with cherries. Serve in highball glass. All right. This looks delicious. What is this called? The Space Odyssey cocktail. Got it. I have okay, no I idea why, but that okay. is what it's called. All right. Okay. So cheers, it's kind of like Conrad. A sunrise, this like yeah. orangey. Oh, maybe that's light. why. Yeah. Like the sun. You know, I mean, if you sunset. look at the coloring of the drink, like it goes from darker to yeah. lighter. Well, so maybe I, it is that whole kind like, of the kind of the point, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. That makes sense. <laughs> it you, does make sense. Okay. Good God. Like I even bad. when I agree with you, you want to argue and be like, well, I, I thought of it first. But, uh, better. I'm literally okay. All right, Go ready straight. to taste? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Oh, hello. Oh. Uh, wait, hold on. God, I love me some orange juice, y'all, in any drink. I don't know what to think about that. You know what that's good at? You cannot be serious. That is delicious. It's really sweet. I'm okay with that. Yeah. No, I mean, if I was like, well, oh, oh. God, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, I, I would do this in shot form. Delicious I predict that I burst. will have three of these tonight, oh, girl, <laughs> at least. So this was made, this came out in 1968. Let me tell you what was happening that year. It was kind of a big year. Um, both Martin Luther King and Robert F. Kennedy were assassinated. Mm. NASA's Apollo 8 space mission was mm -hmm. launched. Okay. And Exciting. the Redwood National Park created in California to protect the giant redwoods. Oh, I see you. You see? <laughs> Are you making an Avatar reference? Duh. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, the films that came out that year were some fantastic ones. There was Funny Girl. Hello. Oh, hello, gorgeous. Um, hello, gorgeous. There was The Odd Couple. Mm -hmm. My God, one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. And I don't even know. I need to check if it was nominated because if it was, that's one I need to put because it's so good. Um, Planet of the Apes. 
Oh, I've never seen a Planet of the Apes movie ever. Um, like even uh, the remakes, Rise the, of the Planet. The new ones are Mm-mm. cool. I like. The I heard ones. they're really good, but I also, yeah. also heard they're sad. Although I don't know if I saw because I think there was three of them. Yeah, I know I saw the first two, but I don't think I saw the third one. Okay, yeah, Adam Maybe loved I them. I don't know. I I just I enjoyed I them. Can't. Yeah, I thought they were fun. Um, and then Rosemary's Baby. Did you ever? You don't like scary movies, did you ever see that no, one? No, ma'am. Nope. It's a good one. I it's. Do I don't feel movies. like it's a scary one though. I feel like it's a thriller, but not. It's scary, yeah. like you know, I guess The Exorcist and The Omen are scary. I've never seen either of those either. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I told you I don't. They just don't interest me. I I don't get that. They make me so happy. Oh God, my back hurts after it. After a scary movie? Yeah, because I'm so tense and like tight and wound up and jump and. Oh God, I love it. I love the adrenaline. All right, so books that came out that year. One is 2001 by Arthur C. Clarke. It is not the one that the movie's based on. This is a novelization of the movie, but it was based on something that Arthur C. Clarke wrote. So we'll get into that. The, There's the Sentinel something. The Sentinel, yes. Oh, that's and I think it was a short story. Um, right, 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 right. Okay. Which this movie could have been a short movie. But anyway, mm. um, mm, a wizard. You. I know you're gonna get so mad. Um, so, a wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. I don't nope. I've never heard of that. Do nope. Androids Dream of Electric <clears throat> Sheep by Philip K. Dick? And that one I'm almost positive is what Blade Runner is based on. And that is one of our movies um, coming up at some point. And then there's Corduroy by Don Freeman, which is a children's, oh, sorry, which is a children's book that I would read to my girls. It's really sweet. Okay. On TV, we had Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. We had Gomer Pyle. We had Bonanza. And we had Mayberry RFD. I never watched any of them, except I did see some Bonanza with my great-grandmother. Music that came out that year, we've got Hey Jude by the Beatles, mm. Love is Blue by Paul Marriott, Marriott, I don't know who that is, Honey by Bobby Goldsboro, and Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. Watching the time. Celebrities born that year, there's Will Smith, Hugh Jackman, Owen Wilson, mm. Daniel Craig, Brendan Fraser, Josh Brolin, and Naomi Watts are just to name a few. Mm-hmm. Those are a lot, like a lot of those are pretty still relative, right? Yeah. Like I still mean, really actively doing things. Yeah. All of them basically. And like some of them are coming into their prime. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie, so let's see AFI lists. This is, you know, you don't have to drink the whole thing. Oh my God. <laughs> my goodness. Oof. It's just like so sweet. Oh, God, it's so good. Okay. On the AFI Top Movies back in 1998, it was at number 22. Cheers, number 47. Mm. I don't quite understand that at all. It's a Um, yay for evolution. I I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Um, That's for those who understood what they were watching. Quotes, number 78. Open the pod bay doors, doors please, please Al. Al. 
Yes. <laughs> um, Hal 9000 was listed as number 13 on the top villains. It was number 40 on the thrills. <laughs> and then on this list, it course is number 15 so it moved up a few steps right so this was inspired by arthur c clark's 1951 short story the sentinel and as well as other short stories by clark and then as i said he also published the novelization of the film so this stars keir dolier as dr dave bowman gary lockwood as dr frank Poole. William Sylvester as Dr. Haywood R. Floyd. And then we had Douglas Rain as the voice of Hal 9000. Hal's voice was um, quite um, <laughs> amazing. It, it was, it was anxiety inducing. I'm it was so James. calm. My yeah. mind is going. Oh, I can feel it. I can it. feel it. Yeah. I no. can feel it. Oh my God, stop it. I can feel it. Good God, Conrad. <laughs> That's how oh it was. God. That is very accurate, actually. <laughs> Thank um, you. He was weirdly, like, very calm to the point, like, I remember my stepfather, the more upset he would get, the calmer he would be. Mm. And it was so, like, oh my Scary. God. Scary. Like, <laughs> it's in, I mean, it's such a great way, like it's such a great effect to raise one's anxiety, which I think was I the mean, point in this. Well, yeah, combined movie. with a lot of other situations. Yeah, of course. With our, but, our guest. But that is something that definitely added to the, <clears throat> like, the I, anxiety I just, that you would feel throughout the movie. You didn't know what, yeah. like, when he would snap and take everything down and hurt someone <laughs> or when he's just like regular talking. All right. So this was directed by Stanley Kubrick. It was also written by Stanley Kubrick along with Arthur C. Clarke, who wrote right. the original story. Jeffrey Unsworth did the cinematography, which was incredible. It was edited by Ray Lovejoy. Ray, we could have done a little better job and shaved <laughs> off a little Incorrect, time. Incorrect, Ray. Uh-huh. Production... The production design was Troy Master, no, Tony Masters, Harry Lang, and Ernest Archer. It runs two hours and 29 minutes. It's a fast two hours. (laughs) I am so curious to see who agrees with that. Um, The Common Sense Media was 12 plus. I do agree with that. On Rotten Tomatoes, 92% good reviews. So the consensus was one of the most influential of all sci-fi films and one of the most controversial Stanley Kubrick's 2001 is a delicate poetic meditation on the ingenuity and folly of mankind. That's really beautiful. It is. I do want to, (laughs) you know what? I just thought of one question I want to ask and we'll save this for the guest, but why was it seen as controversial? That's what I was actually going to ask. Yeah. Um, I would like to get our guests opinion on that. Well, but it was like really polarizing at first though, right? It was. And I like walk out of the the theater. Yes. Oh yes. 241 people walked out of the premiere, the premiere, right. right, right. At the premiere, including rock Hudson who (laughs) yelled, will someone tell me what the hell this is about? (laughs) Mm, Get an education rock. 
Oh, oh. I'm just come on now. <laughs> I mean, Rock, I kind of understand what you're saying. And in fact, the one of the bad reviews I found, because I always look at those, I look at the top critic bad reviews. This was Kathleen Carroll from the New York Daily News. She mm-hmm. said, a small sphere of intellectuals will feel that Kubrick has, has said something simply because one expected him to say something. Most moviegoers will wish, will only wish that Mr. Kubrick would come back down to earth. When that did is, she write this review? That's a great question. I'm not sure. Um, I did not check the date on it, but I will say that I feel like there are some movies mm-hmm. and Kubrick is very much like this. I feel like a lot of his movies are polarizing. You either love Kubrick or you hate mm-hmm. Kubrick. Like there's right. very little in between. And we have, mm-hmm. I mean, we've got on our list, I know we have a Clockwork Orange is on our list right. and that's right. a very polarizing movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, oh, Dr. Strangelove. So, so other act, there is only, I couldn't find anything about other actors considered for roles except for, they had originally thought of Hal 9000 being a female named Athena. Right, Athena. That, I don't, I think that would have honestly added an extra layer if it was a female. And the manipulation that was kind of done by Hal, you know, Um, and the, I mean, just for the time in 1968 and how women were viewed. And I just think it would have been an extra layer that people would have overanalyzed. Ah, so you're happy it's a, a guy's voice. I'm fine with it. I mean, like either oh, okay. way, I would have been fine. Either but way. I do right. think okay. that if it was a female, that would have been part of the discussion. But it being a male, that. I don't think it. I don't think it's a huge part. <clears throat> right. Um, it won, of course, best effects, um, special visual effects, but it was nominated for best director. It lost to Carol Reed for Oliver. Oh, and it also was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, but lost to Mel Brooks for The Producers. Great Mm, movie. And then Best Art Direction, it lost to Oliver. So first impressions, you know, I told you the people walked out. (laughs) So my first impression watching this, we'll get those out of the way and then we'll go to our guest. My first impression was I saw it years ago. Adam and I watched it. I was expecting this to be like this epic adventure movie. I mean, I'd heard so much about it and I felt like I got a classical concert. Like I got Fantasia Mm -hmm. for adults, right? which I'm not against. It just wasn't what I expected. So I was super disappointed. The second time I saw it, which was for this podcast, I really, I really enjoyed it more. I loved the music. I appreciated it more. I appreciated Mm. the um, the beauty of it. It was just such a beautiful movie. So yeah. I wasn't expecting Gorgeous. the like fast epic pace of an adventure. So I enjoyed it more the second time knowing what I was going into. That makes sense. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break and then we are going to come back with our guest um, in just a few. Stay hey. tuned. So we are back. We have our guest, Anthony yes. Simpson. Anthony Here Tyler Simpson, Tyler. that is. Here he mm-hmm. is, of course. Um, Anthony, how do we well, know Aaron, each other? you are my lovely cousin. You, 
Oh, am I your favorite cousin? Oh, yeah, you can absolutely. say it here. Without a doubt. We'll see how this okay. podcast goes. But uh, yeah. I'm gonna <laughs> but he's, now, he's shaking his he's shaking his he head. Is, no, no, he's yes. not. I'm gonna totally favorite. make sure Travis listens to this <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, okay, so how many of the AFI top mm, 100 movies have you actually seen? 38 percent. So that would be 38 movies. I did the conversion for 38. you into percentages. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I was already yeah. getting out the calculator on that one. So 38, 38 of the 100. Okay. Okay. You can round that up and call it 40%. Sounds better. No. 38. No, 38, 38 it is. Yeah. To be fair, most of them um, on the that's, list are pretty, they, only, they happened not in my lifetime, I would say. Right? Yeah, but I'm surprised because I know your dad yeah. loves True. old movies True. and- he has made me just in Kerrville. He would make me watch old movies. And that's how all I've the seen time. the 38. <laughs> it's him forcing me to watch. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. We're There's through. a fair, you know, okay. dozen, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, that I like voluntarily went to go see just out of my own curiosity. But I would say majority of them, I was persuaded right. to watching them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that makes total sense. So I think Conrad saw around 30 something. It was frighteningly 34. Yeah. 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 All yes. right. So Anthony, when did you first see 2001 A Space Odyssey? I first saw it because it was, I believe, an extra credit assignment in intro to communications in like 2006. So it was like a, it was like a completion. Okay. Grade. I'm pretty sure you watch it, write a paragraph about what it's about and you get a hundred um, so that was the first time I saw it. I had known about it, but I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't have an incentive to watch it until that class. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. And did you like it when you first watched um, it? Yeah, that's weird. I, I guess I had mixed feelings about it. I think when I first saw it, I knew, like, I felt as though something significant is, is going on in the movie and something significant is trying to be communicated to me. But at the end of it, I didn't feel like I really got it. And then I felt like I must have missed something that happened in the movie. I must have like Mm. turned away and missed a critical moment. And at the time I didn't have the the patience to like go back and try and find that um, missed moment that I thought, I don't even think it was there. I think I saw the whole movie and I think it was just a, it is a cryptic movie. Um, So to not understand it the first time watching it, I think is understandable. So when I first saw it, I have mixed feelings. Uh, I thought it was a cool looking movie, but I didn't feel satisfied with the message because I don't think I got it. Yeah, it was. And that's one thing that the screenwriter or, you know, Arthur C. Clarke said was that they wanted to leave the audience with more questions than answers. And I don't know how I feel about that. Great job, sir. But I don't know necessarily, that's, that's definitely not my favorite type of movie that mm. leaves me with more questions. I like things wrapped yeah. up in pretty you bows a, and done a and nice I set it aside, you know. To really wrap it up, I get it. Yeah. Yes, mm. yeah. yes. And I don't mind making my guesses and analyzing throughout the movie, that's fine. But at least at the end, and also because you read interviews and stuff, they never clarify what do you anything. Mean? about well about oh, what right. the movie yeah. like the no, messages of the movie they yeah. never right. say a word about it so even reading that stuff after i still i mean yeah. it, that didn't help at all so it, it really it is, is kind of to misleading to go into it thinking oh this is a sci-fi movie and and it's it's taught it as like one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time but 
in sci-fi movies, like I can't think of a sci-fi movie that has an, a, like uh, the audience was intended to be adults and have it be rated G and like have no monster, villain, blood, mm. gore. Um, yeah. This movie is rated I G? I saw that earlier today. I was like, what? But I mean, it makes sense. I, I, it's not that I, I wouldn't want to rate, I wouldn't want to rate it a PG. I think it's not PG. I think it is G. I mean, there's not, well, okay. I don't know. There is some like, you know, malicious moments maybe where you can interpret that where maybe it could get PG, but I, I think a, a G is a solid rating for it. And for a sci-fi movie and being an adult, you kind of go into it thinking, oh man, the movie Alien yeah. or, um, you know, the movie It or something like that where you're like, ooh, it's going to be so good. And then you're- Blade Runner, yeah, like you're all of those types. Where you kind of like, you're watching the movie waiting for something conclusive to happen and it just doesn't happen the way that mm. you want it to. I'll say that. I love the anticipation of it. But I think a lot of the tension created in the movie lies in these very long drawn out mm-hmm. shots, right? It's right. like, okay, I'm staring, I'm looking. And you know, there's not very many panned shots in this movie. Right. They're almost exclusively single shots, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I find myself looking at like all parts of the screen in these long, like I look at the background, I look at the, you know, the lighting and then I look at the colors and then, you know, it really gives me time to kind of take in this image Mm -hmm. that I'm seeing. And then Mm -hmm. also, you know, driven by the music at whatever time in the, in the movie, you know, this kind of like warbly scary music that they do you know, creates an added anticipation when it's combined with this like really long drawn out scene of like, yeah. okay, is it going to explode? Is there something going to come out? Mm-hmm. Is there, you know what I mean? See, it's but then like, don't you find yourself disappointed when there's not? No, because then it goes to the next like. Yeah, you're kind of just thing. like, it's almost passing yeah. the of like, it's, it's like you're, you're watching it and yeah, it's like, it's picking up and then you maybe it goes transition to the next scene and then it kind of just, picks up the story right away and you don't really like contemplate too much about what you just saw because now you're already captivated into the screen so you're like oh I gotta get it I gotta get what what's about to happen I have to understand what's going to happen next kind of thing because I agree like the music is very Hmm. definitely makes you feel like like something's about to happen like a jump scare is about to happen like someone's going to pop out of the corner yeah yeah I don't know I that's what I find frustrating is that you don't get that payoff of, you know, okay, we're building, building, building. And okay, now they're just but talking. You, see, to me, I don't think that there's never not a payoff. I just never felt like disappointed by the end of a scene or the end of, I mean, sometimes I was like, mm-hmm. uh, what? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, let me like earmark that in my head to try and remember, you know, what the, was that about? Well, because when we say that it's like these epic long shots, we're talking minutes and minutes and minutes. Like we are not talking about, oh, it's just a complete song and three minutes long. No, it's like seven to 10 minutes long that you just see them floating in space or doing something. So one shot. That's an exaggeration. Okay, well, I don't think it is. But That's also, an exaggeration. You're an exaggeration. I mean, so so this was shot in like 1968, and like, there's no way. I think I think the people that watched it in 1968, when they were 
watching those long shots that that we may interpret as like boring and like move on already kind of vibe. The people in 1968 were probably mesmerized by all these camera tricks and different shots and and the music and because this was the first like real like uh, sci-fi effects, not sci-fi, but special effects sci-fi. Wasn't you know, it like, considered sci-fi. like the first sci-fi movie, the first official like feature? Well, and it's in that in the version that we know of it today. So mm-hmm. sci-fi before that was like you know giant yeah, ants or giant the blob anything, anything Martian or things like that. <laughs> right, 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 right. Anything and alien, then, yeah. And then two thousand one came along, and created this realism that to me a lot of these shots still look very yeah. real to me and yeah. it's like it just kind of like okay that's really pretty cool that spawned creating uh George Lucas and creating Industrial Light and Magic and then Industrial Light and Magic went on to create pretty much any special <laughs> effect you've ever seen right then, you know yeah um so they they really are a pioneer in this uh, genre. The new Star Trek movies would not be here. Star Wars would yeah, not really be here. Yeah, it really set here. the standard. Uh, so Anthony, would you say that like, do you like the movie? If someone yeah. said, hey, Anthony, how, did you like 2001? If they would asked you say, me yeah. in 2006, I would have said no. But if they asked me in 2014, like, mm-hmm. when I kind of revisited the film with like more of an explanation to like what to look for kind of thing, I would have said yes. And then I think, I mean, Every time, I mean, at least recently, I, I, I'm sure there's a, there's a, there's like a um, diminishing value when you watch it like a dozen or more times, but I've seen it four or five times now. And I, I don't, I like it more and more. I think it, it, it probably, I like it a little bit less each time I watch it, but it still goes up. I still appreciate it. There's still a bunch of redeeming, like yeah. redeeming qualities of the movie that you go away from. I mean, even the long shots are visually satisfying. You know what I mean? It, looking at the Grand Canyon's nice. And so is looking in space and watching a spaceship kind of, you know, turn and move and, and seeing planets and stuff like that. That's all cool stuff. But you're, it doesn't have much to do with the story, which I could see why it would be a little uh, irritating if, you're, if, you're go, if your expectation is sci-fi and your expectation is one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time, I would be a little unnerved by the, by the slow moving shots. I completely agree. And I do think that people before they watch this, if they haven't already seen it, that they should read up about the movie so that they know a little more about what to look for. I did not. I I didn't. And you still loved it. I loved it. I had no clue what it was about. I didn't know that it was such a slow movie. I didn't. It started. But you had heard about it before, right? Like you had heard of 2001. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. But you had no expectation going in. I had literally. I I would say be prepared. Be prepared Hmm. to watch it a second time after your initial time for you to really appreciate the movie. Watching it one time through with zero perspective, I challenge anyone to come out Mm -hmm. of that movie knowing completely what it was about and all the things about it. You know, I. I, Well, and even if they liked it. Well, I think like what what's interesting, even like even the first time I saw it I just immediately wanted to get online (laughs) and know like how is it made tell me everything about this movie what what is Kubrick said what is you know the actors said what you know where the interviews all that kind of stuff 
if I were to tell people like to see this movie, which I would, because I, I really <laughs> like it, I, I say it to, to see what they have to say about it because I'm just right. so fascinated by <laughs> one, the polarity of it, right? Like, you know, people just hate it or they love it. And I just want to hear like, yeah, like I just want to know what they think. I want to like you, you tell me what you saw or how you felt or, or whatnot. Do you believe that it belongs on the top I mean, 100 I do. list? I, I, and, and, but what's, what's sad is like, I think to really be able to, un, to really be able to answer that question you'd have to see all the movies on the top 100, right? So like, I Touché, can't- that, I, Yeah, that's true. I, it's hard for me to say like, oh, push off or, you know, like something else should take its place. Like there's so many movies on there that I've never heard of where I'm just like giving the people that made the list the benefit of the doubt that the gold rush in 1925 is deserving to be on there. <laughs> I don't know. I would. I haven't seen it. Well, we don't, don't know yet either. We'll, we'll let you know. We'll let let you me know. know. I'll get back to you that. Can't wait to hear that 1925 context. And I think something oh, yeah. interesting about, you know, starting this podcast was doing exactly that. You know, like I would have never seen a Charlie Chaplin movie. I would have never seen a yeah. Martin Brothers movie. That is and, true. You know, while you know, they're not like, oh my God, this is my favorite movie of all time. Um, it's really interesting to see kind of, um, you know, what was funny at that time, what mm -hmm. pieces of comedy or what kind of character bits did they do all that time ago that people are still doing now, mm -hmm. you know? So um, in, in that way, it, that's what has been interesting about this kind of journey. I agree. And it's also been, um, and we've said this, like I said this with this movie, it's all timestamps of that, you know, time in our history, what was considered funny or dramatic or moving or epic, um, mm -hmm. which I think is really, really cool. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come down and um, do our own um, analyzing of this movie. So we'll be right back. We are back. So let's talk about just kind of some moments in this movie. We, the very beginning, I think yes. everyone knows it. It is the man. epic music. Well, before that, you have that epic theme, which is the also Sprach Zarathustra. Um, you have this epic theme and then you have the moonshot. Like you see... Um, what is it? The sun, the earth, and the moon. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, that shot, I think, is one that is recognized anywhere. Even if you haven't seen this movie, you recognize that theme immediately and seeing that that shot. Oh, don't absolutely. you think? Yeah. I mean, it, it is it is very uh, like oddly familiar, even though you don't recall why it's familiar. Yeah. Like, like you wouldn't be like, oh, this is the beginning of 2001. It's just like, <laughs> ooh, that song's really good. <laughs> right. Yeah. What a cool yeah. shot. Um, well, when I heard the music, I was like, oh, I didn't know this was like where that was from. From this, Not that, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not that that's where this is from. Right. But this is definitely one of those movies. I mean, because obviously that was written very long ago right, that, but that's it's kind of like with um 
Casablanca, what we were talking about with as time goes by, yeah. that was written 11 years before the movie, right. but it's the right. movie that made that made so it. famous, right. right? Right, right, right. So in, yeah. So in this 2001 is what brought that to the forefront and has been associated with space, I feel, ever since. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, like yeah. that epic, epic sound. Now I read that the alignment of the sun, the earth, and the moon um, is based on Zoroastrianism, which is an ancient Persian religion that predates Buddhism and Christianity and is based on the teachings of the prophet um, Zarathustra, which is what that theme is, is um, thus spake Zarathustra. So I find that, I don't know if that's just a coincidence or if that was something that was planned, like, oh, look, I just read about Zoroastrianism and we should put that shot in this movie you know yeah, oh and look there's a piece by him. super super fascinating like I think I think this is where it comes into whole like the movie itself just has such varying degrees of it like interpretation so like the explanation I came across for that opening shot where you see the the moon and then you see the sun and then you see the earth mm-hmm. is like symbolic of an Egyptian myth called the Osirian cycle where Osiris is a god. Osiris is symbolized as the sun. And in the myth, the he basically rides on the boat of Isis, which rides across the heavens or whatever like that. But the boat is symbolized as the crescent. So in that opening shot, you see the sun symbolized as Osiris. You see the crescent, meaning that the, the god or Osiris is traveling. And the sun is bringing its light to earth. Like that's what's happening. It's like this, the sun is now beaming on the earth. So Osiris is bringing his light to the earth and that's the opening shot. And then the next scene is the sun rising on earth. And when you first see the earth, it's, it's barren. Uh, there's, there's nothing going on. There's, I think crickets chirping, something like that. But then as the sun rises and as the scene kind of advances and progresses, you see more and more animal life. You see the pigs, you see plants, vegetation, monkeys, and all of those creatures, there's no, um, even though they're in competition of like the plants, you don't see the monkey hurt the pig necessarily. There's some shouting and things like that, but, but essentially they're all living in harmony. There's no death. There's no, nothing like that. And that kind of goes into it symbolizing an age of like innocence, which is the dawn of man, which can kind of like go to the whole garden garden of eden moment where where there's there's this there's this like perfect kind of life where everything has its purpose everything is like in the food chain kind of thing um so that's kind of what i read about the explanation of that opening scene that that that, that essentially the opening is it's like starting the new age of earth where where there's the garden of eden and there's all these animals kind of cohabitating right um, which i mean pretty epic of a moment to, to capture, I guess. <laughs> See, I find it fascinating that right from the very first moment of this movie, there can be tons of different interpretations. Like yeah, exactly. that just sets right, it up right. for you that like, okay, this movie is going to mean something completely different to everybody. Cause mm-hmm. even that, my gosh, like even the music starting from the first second of this movie, there's 
different ideas right. about what it is. So yeah. we have, you mentioned the, um, you know, the apes down there and everyone yeah. living in harmony and really it's just like these, the, I thought the main focus was like these two tribes of apes that were fighting over like a watering hole or something. And they were just like posturing and, you know, that's really all it was until we get to that one ape who learns, you know, that he can actually use bones as a weapon. And then they get into their, you know, our first fight scene, or I guess our only fight scene in this movie. It's, it's, it's the it's the birth of murder. It is. <laughs> no, it is the birth of murder. <laughs> Jaguar kills that one ape, right? I, funny enough, I was curious. So like, I thought like, man, it must've been tough being that monkey man guy and having to just be like, all right, a Jaguar is going to come at me and then just going to have to let it happen. <laughs> like, I was like, oh man. So I thought I was like, this is got, this guy has to be like a stunt man or something. So I look him up and he's actually identified in the cast list among all the other apes. And it's just a regular guy. <laughs> like he's wow. not. Who had to just like, like... I assume I, I looked at like his IMDB, you know, the movies that he's been in and He's taxi man. He's uh, the butcher. <laughs> he's, he's a boss in an office. Just your, like just your yeah, everyday he's just like guy. An extra. And I was like, man, so, they had to convince wow. they had to convince an extra to let a jaguar come at you. <laughs> oh my like, god! How much did you get paid? One extra breakfast, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and a pat on the back. He got yeah, credit. So, That's it. Um, that zebra was a real dead horse that they painted. What? By the way. What? Wow. Yeah. Well, zebras are hard to come by, I guess, but yeah, dead horses. Right? They there's a Where did, plenty what of the those. Hell? So then night falls and you see the monkeys or the apes in the cave and they hear the growling outside. So they're all kind of scared and just being in there. And then you see there's like a newborn ape being with them. And then cut to like a red uh like the sun is setting or rising maybe, but you see that, you see that crescent symbol again. And I think that's a callback to the first scene where the crescent represents the boat that the God is riding on coming to earth. So that crescent, the next morning, what happens is you wake up to the monolith and that's when, okay, now this is a whole other thing. Like now all the, all the monkeys are all unsettled, disturbed, kind mm -hmm. of like baffled by this. Cause they know, I, I mean, I'm interpreting, right. But they know that what they're seeing didn't occur in nature. It has to be something with an intelligent design, something created, you know, so, so they touch it or the one ape does, and then they all eventually touch it. Um, and then what we have is that next scene where the monkey is in the dirt looking at the bones. And for like a split second, maybe half a second, they cut to imagery of the monolith, the sun and the crescent again, where like the sun, it looks as though it's rising above the monolith. And then what's above the sun is that crescent. So it cuts to that for a millisecond. And then that's the moment that the monkey grabs the, the bone and starts tossing it around. So it's like the imagery is trying to connect them all. Like yeah. the stone, the sun, the crescent are all tied to intellect, knowledge, enlightenment, um, evolution, creation, yeah, all those things. So he grabs that, that tool, swings it around. And then I, I was wondering like, how did they, how do you, what camera trick do you do when they just showed that pig just drop to the ground, did they? Did right. They, back in 1968, did they just kill pigs on, t on, Maybe, on camera? I mean, Maybe like a little blow dart or something? What? 
to make a drop, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe they're capturing it like standing up and playing it backwards. But I was like, no, I don't think that works mm. either. So I don't I don't right. know what don't, trick they did. But I they don't do know if PETA was around then or if they there was were, any sort of like, right. you know, Shame. anyone well, looking. a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I'm like, how did the horse die is my next question. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I don't know if there was any or anyone around like checking, make sure you don't hurt, you know, any of the animals. I really I doubt pigs. that there was. I feel bad calling them pigs. I know they're not pigs. They're definitely something. They have a name and I don't know what it is, but it is it is what it is. They made that drop. Yeah. Then the tool gets made. And then what's different about this second meeting at the water hole is that in the first water hole, the second group of ape comes upon the group of ape that was imparted knowledge from the monolith. But this second visit, the ape that was given knowledge or given the gift of intellect is actually coming upon them at their mm-hmm. water hole. Like they're encroaching mm-hmm. on their space now. And they have that confrontation the ape with the bone like stands in their water which is total like i'm sure that's like a i don't give a you know fuck about what you're doing kind of thing and and eventually you know hits the guy and and kills him and i think that kind of like in like it um to me i get i get that this man or this ape that was given this gift of intellect to use its intellect to make tools and stuff like that is moving forward in this age of dawn of man or whatever. And, and what's being left behind is the ape that couldn't adapt, the ape that didn't get that gift, that couldn't make the connections to use a bone as a weapon. They're being phased out. And the, the tribe of ape, the tribe of apes that's gonna go forward in time is going to be this ape that's willing to adapt, that's, that's using its intellect and all those things. And I think, you know, that, that scene kind of ends with, or I mean, it does end with, the ape with the bone tossing the, you know, the, the bone up in the air and right. then that transitions into the space station. And I think that's just showing, you know, it's going from potentially, you know, BC to 2000, whatever, right. or I guess 2001, or I don't know. It's 18 it months is. prior, so maybe it's 2000. I don't know, but they're jumping like 5,000 years and it's just showing the expansion mm-hmm. of man's technology and man's you know knowledge to the point that now oh we're talking we're talking space travel like we were on the ground and now we're way up here we've ha- we advanced 5000 years and here we are yeah um, when i was okay so when i was watching it the second time i you know when they and not to jump ahead in the movie but when they find the monolith on the moon they mentioned that it was been there for 4 million years and oh, so, wow. so then I thought, okay, well then who were the first humans to use tools, right? So mm-hmm. I, I searched this up, which is Homo habilis. They existed 2 million years ago. Oh, so, so there's pre- this yeah. jump four and then two. And so the evolution jump from, you know, 2 million years ago to, you know, 1999 when they get on the moon. Mm-hmm. And then the jump from evolution to the next jump is only 18 months. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Then the next jump is only a few days of this AI until he sees the next one. Because right. they're only on that, what we see of them on the trip to Jupiter is, you know, a few days. Mm-hmm. And then like, the next one when he's going through this wormhole or whatever 
could be almost even a shorter amount of time. So it almost yeah. seems like the the time in between evolutional gains keeps like shrinking throughout the movie. Well, if you look at just history and like technology and AI when it came about, like it is it went up so much in such a short amount of time. Yeah, exponential right. growth. Is what yeah, they call it I think exponential growth where it's just constantly like compounding its speed. Like, yeah. like uh, it just keeps going, keeps going and it ramps up like that. I think that is exactly what, what, what Conrad mentioned is that you're seeing these, these evolutionary jumps in shorter periods of time. Um, and I mean, I think that's, I, I, I would, I would think that's accurate. You know, I think that's kind of yeah. play that does play into reality a little bit. No. Yeah. Um, so one thing in that ape section, when the monolith appears, that's yeah. when we first hear that music. That Which really the, the the orchestra or the the vocals. It's the vocals. The vocals. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Conrad. That's exactly That's what it Conrad. is. I could, you could, I, you could, you know, <laughs> I've done that all week long. By the way, <laughs> I just like. <laughs> yeah, that's when we first hear it, and it's that's the music. It is fucking creepy. It's unsettling. Whenever that it monolith appears, and we hear that's that a good word yes, for it. it makes me very anxious. And I do think it's amazing how the apes, like there would be so much just, you know, interaction and moving around and all of that stuff. And when that appeared, like they all went so still just looking at it. And then you had, and of course, yeah. because this is Kubrick and it's 2001, you have this epic, like it goes on forever, where they're looking at this monolith and or Sound monolith like and enjoying. You know, I really did enjoy. You it felt the that time. scene was too long. Of girl, the, of I felt cro- cro- going to the like. I was okay you know, like the, with that. Do I touch it? No. Do I? You know, like yeah, yeah. That whole thing. That was cool. I yeah, like that. It was. Oh I was man. actually okay with that, but it was the music <laughs> in the background that really. I mean, maybe it, it was creepy. just that it was so unsettling. Yeah, um, that, that I'm like, okay. at a haunted house and it would work. Absolutely. Like, have that in the background and people wouldn't know that's from the soundtrack of 2001. They'd be like, I'm in a haunted house and this is exactly. spooky music that comes yes. with it. Yes, exactly. It is very much like that. It is spooky. Um, so the next section we go into is kind of the space section, right? Where we okay. see um, the, the space station, the space station. Um, and we do have some epic long shots here. I mean, whenever there's oh. any sort of transition in space, whether it's transition to their journey to Jupiter, transition to the space station, transition to anything, we have those epic shots that are minutes long where we hear well, a lot of music from Strauss, which again, I'm not complaining about at all. Let me, again, let me just... Please, Conrad, go ahead. For a second. <laughs> when it cut into... From Dawn of Man to the next section, uh-huh. it was actually uh, several shots of different satellites orbiting the Earth. This so is it was true. Not different angles of the same. You are correct. I and am generaliz- I'm generalizing about the, whole thing. Uh-huh. the rotating space station. Yes. That just kind of like starts zooming in. You're, you are and- on this first one, you're right. I'm, I okay. hate to, to rewind, but mm-hmm. I, I totally remembered something I wanted to mention with the ape scenes mm-hmm. that uh-huh. I think is interesting. So the entire opening sequence, that whole ape scene moment and all that stuff, none of that is actually shot outside, physically outside. 
All of that right. is in a studio. All of the rocks are built. The sets are built. The, the camera trick that Kubrick is doing to make it look as though he's outside is called front screen projection, where like in 1968, so in 1968, they didn't have CGI. They didn't have green screens and things like that. So to, to kind of make the, the scene look as though it's outside and have it be as vast is that this company that's still around today called 3M, they, they uh, invented this- Like the post-it people? Yeah, the post-it oh, people. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so they invented, they invented um, scotch light, which I, don't, I couldn't go into like what this actually is, but basically what you're seeing is a screen at the end of the set that is just made of scotch light. And basically how the front screen projection works, I'm, I'm probably explaining this terribly, but the best way I can explain it to myself is when you're standing in front of a movie screen at a movie auditorium or whatever, you would cast a shadow on the screen, but with front screen projection, they use mirrors and some other kind of things where you can stand as though you're, you're casting a shadow, but there is no shadow cast for you. It looks as though you're in the picture so that is pretty much the camera trick he uses throughout the movie. I mean, yes, he uses it in the ape man scene, but then he also does it on the, on the moon where the, at the end of the set is just this massive scotch light screen that is, is basically using that front screen projection to, to kind of do that camera trick. And I think that's what, I think that's what Kubrick is kind of doing is he's just like all those shots. I think he's kind of experimenting with what looks cool. And I think 100%. he just runs with it. I think 100%. he goes, how can I, you know, I can make this spaceship look like it's in space doing this camera trick. And at the time, nobody was really doing that at the level right. and the accuracy that Kubrick did. So he was like, let's just play this out. Like this stuff is groundbreaking. Let me make this whole scene like five minutes long of just camera tricks and, and the, the space station rotating and stuff like that. So I thought that was a really cool little factoid about the movie about, cause when I first saw it, totally thought that was all outside. I was like, this is, he yeah, went to a desert. I he went to guessed. a desert and made all that, you know, took all that shots and stuff. Yeah, that's actually, why I think no. like some of these shots just seem because you know it's not CGI'd. It's yeah. like, man, this is just oh, really how they do it. Fascinating do to watch, you know, it's just so fascinating. I think that's one thing, not a problem I have with it. I get it. Mm. But I also think a lot of this movie was made to show off these new tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think that I the story that. was very thin. I, yeah. I mean, it just was. I think intentionally, though. I, did, I mean, I, they did the same thing in Citizen Kane, where they show new camera tricks and new camera shots. And and I think that played a big part as to why Citizen Kane is number one on that list is because in 1935, yep. no audience had seen. Was that the, 1935? That was not. I just I guessed. I just pulled it out. Oh, let me go back and check. Wait a 1941, second. six years off. Six How years was off. 1941. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have even guessed that. I'm giving myself a pat on the back. That was pretty cool. You should. That <laughs> was actually within a decade. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, I think, I think, um, you know, I think AFI and that top 100 list is probably lit, like not littered. I don't, that's a bad word. For the lack of a better word, littered with things that were groundbreaking for the time that it was made and not necessarily a movie that like resonates deeply within you kind of thing. I think a lot of it is just for the time being, I think how it was then. Yeah. Which in their defense is one of the requirements for being selected for this. It is. Movie. Hmm. It is a requirement. So that's a criteria. How, like the, the okay. impact yeah, it's one of the criteria. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the impact on the culture or on technology. Oh, wow. Okay. Or that kind on... of changes. 
Okay, that Things changes like my that. viewpoint. So I, I do, I mean, like, I do believe this belongs on the list just because of how much it inspired. But it also did, it felt like, considering that it's two and a half hours and the story is as thin as it is, yeah, that it did feel kind of like a show and tell. Yeah. Of like, look uh, at I mean, the new I'm, things that we've got. I, I, I won't, I won't deny that. That, that does, that is. Nope mostly accurate i would say it is definitely it feels long um, it really does it does and, it and it's very quick for me really? yeah you even especially okay especially if you remove because to me dawn of man is a different almost a different like a you know it's like a I, a setup to kind of the movie yeah, um, I think if you isolate the profound music moments, if you isolate just those profound music moments and just watch those, you could come away with most of what the story is about. So I think that's that's where I, I think like, oh, maybe it is a little long because you could probably cut some of this stuff and still get. But again, I, like to your point, Aaron, I think Kubrick was saying this is my moment of shooting my first yes. sci fi movie. This is my first sci fi movie. I'm going to blow it out of the water and yes. show all these camera tricks and it's just going to mesmerize audiences. And I think he achieved that for sure. So we just went to the space station and yes. And now we go to where we're introduced to Haywood Floyd, Dr. Haywood Floyd, Floyd. Um, And this one section I thought was really interesting was they had the voice print identification and things Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, now you say, Hey, S-I-R-I. I can't say because I'm my phone right here. Um, yeah, but you say that and stuff now. And it is like our voices are recognized. And this is, you know, what, 60 rec- years later. Thumbprint recognition. Like, I mean, I kind of feel like that stuff was around in 1968. It just wasn't like in the market. You know what I mean? Like, so, so Ar- Arthur C. Clarke, little fact i think i if i'm remembering right he was in the military so i feel like he had ties to military people you know what i mean and then also the the science advisor for nasa was also the science advisor for 2001 so I think Kubrick probably was just verbatim told that like this stuff, this is you know, something if, that we use. Yeah, like if it doesn't, if it doesn't exist as it's depicted in the movie, it's very close to that in itself. Like, you know, it's very close to that too. So I, I mean, I don't, not to, not to say that he wasn't like kind of predicting these future technologies, but I think he was kind of given a leg up more than we think a little bit. Um, well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that about the NASA, like the, the contribution there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had iPads, so he predicted iPads. I mean, that's that is bona fide nuts. true. Yeah, yeah, that is nuts. <laughs> and your voice activation, all those things, and FaceTime. Yeah, you know, yeah. Talking to his daughter. What was she doing? Oh, so he comes. She comes on, and he's like, "So what were you doing?" I thought she said I was praying. Not to make this like a religion. Nobody remembers. I don't. Oh. I thought that's what she said, but I can't. I think that's I, correct. He's like, what were you, what are you up to uh, squirt or something like that? It's like, he does call her she squirt. says it, she oh, says it in that pull, very high. Maybe, maybe playing. Playing. A, oh, I put an R in there. I bet it was playing. There it is. Yeah, that sounds way better. You're Don't right. Don't be so, trying to make this religious. I know, Anthony. right? Well, hey, My gosh. Uh, this is deep dive. Kubrick's daughter. That little oh, girl. was it? Yeah. Oh, cool. oh, well, that's sweet. 
That's very nice. All right. So we have the meeting on, you know, about this um, journey that they need to go on and talking about the cover up so that, you know, in complete secrecy and all of that stuff. And that is where, if I remember correctly, we see the monolith appear again because yeah. it's on the moon. Am I remembering that right? You are. Yeah, it's and like I think in that little said, excavation site. Yeah. They said that it was like buried and, and that they excavated it. And the yes. six, I guess to call them astronauts, the six astronauts were going down there and the one guy touched it and then nothing happened. But then the moment the guy tried to take a picture, that's when you got that, that, uh, that, you know, high pitch noise that kind of like disabled everybody there. And I don't, I mean, I'll be honest that part, I don't fully even get like, I want to say like, okay, so the monolith is now recurrent, like a recurring character. And when it first showed up, it was kind of like saying it was, to me, it symbolized like intellect, knowledge, wisdom, the thing that's being passed on to man, maybe the moon and seeing the monolith again was kind of like a checkpoint. And then the high pitched noise was like, this isn't the end of the road for mankind. Hmm. So I'm going to disrupt it. And it's a reminder that you're on this greater journey but you know, you're going the right direction, like a hot or cold thing with destiny. I, like, I, huh. don't know I like they, it described like that. <laughs> I don't think they mention it in the movie, um, but I want to say I saw that somewhere in, in the actual screenplay, there's notations um, about how the monolith hadn't seen the sun in 4 million years. Mm. I, I can't remember. Oh, if it was, it was buried. Like since the dawn of man. Intentionally. And so, uh, you know, one, it begs to differ, like begs to the question, who buried it there? Right. right? I love that. That it was intentionally buried. You know, why was it buried there, but not buried on Earth? Um, Hmm. That was buried four million years ago. And then the one on Earth appeared two million years ago. Right. You know, like what, what is that connection? I mean, yeah. we can go like the, the whole monolith itself. I, I always like come back to, does it really physically, I mean, it has to physically exist, right? Cause they're touching it. Yes. But when you're, when you're with the monkeys and they have the profound moment where they, they make tools and then they kind of like bounce back to that cave, that circular cave almost where like there's, you can kind of go down into it and there's a cave. That's where they saw the monolith. Well, now there is no monolith there. They're in the same spot. All right. the monkeys are are eating meat. Um, you know, infant monkeys are playing with stones, playing with tools. So it's kind of, and then I mean, I'm, again, not not to like go forward in the movie, but you see the stone, you see the monolith again, where you know it can't physically have gotten right. there. You know what I mean? So it it bounces between: is it real? Is it not real? Is it real? Is it not real? I think it's real because you see them physically touch it. But then it's like, what does that symbolize? Does it symbolize anything? I don't know. But um, it is a weird moment on the moon. That is really weird. I do think that um, I know that Kubrick wanted to put aliens into this movie, but ran out of uh, budget. And so he did it. So I'm wondering how many questions that would actually answer. what What I read was that they drew up a bunch of sketches, but that he didn't want to give people their own like he didn't want to like say, a definite this is how image the alien looks yeah you know? mm, and leaves yeah. that specifically for you to kind of 
uh, so we are supposed to think that there's some sort of alien because well, the monolith i think was supposed to originally be a tetrahedron like a pyramid oh okay oh that would be that well, was look at original... you busting out your sat words <laughs> yeah, instead of just not... saying a pyramid, a pyramid. But thank you <laughs> well I, yeah, I guess I could have just said a pyramid. You really could have. I mean, you ultimately <laughs> did say a pyramid. I'm, a, yeah, I'm yeah. a math nerd. I'm a math yeah. nerd. No, no, no. I appreciate um, it. Um, so they, and they changed it because it, it, they didn't want it to remind them of, yeah. you know, the pyramid or, or feel like it has any right. connection to that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, and then to your whole depiction of aliens, like, to me, aliens are an intelligent life greater than man. And if you interpret this movie as man's like predestined journey to becoming godlike, then aliens are in a way gods themselves because they're so intel- you know, intellect- intellectually advanced or you know, in- more intelligently advanced than man. So what alien maybe he didn't want to have aliens in there because man themselves are kind of on a journey to becoming aliens themselves to another planet mm. by being by being godlike you know so we have our jupiter mission section and that is where we meet hal mm. uh oh, yeah. who sounds very human the antagonist and- maybe Yes, I would say so. And would humans so, yeah. depend on him completely, much like how we depend so much on technology now. Like mm-hmm. we are just slaves to it. Couldn't do this and there's the question on well, this is very true. We could not. Thank do you, Hal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hal. <laughs> um, there is the question of on if he has feelings. Um, because it definitely seems like he does and i mean even not to jump ahead but even at the end when he's saying i can feel it i can feel it i mean that is kind of amazing i will the more i think about that scene the more i'm like oh that is really really good do you think that i mean that ai can feel yeah it's weird i think i think we we when we hear the word feel we immediately go to touch I think that's where my mind goes is like touch. And I'm like, oh no, no, mm. AI doesn't have the capacity to touch feel, right? Right. And then if you're like, okay, well, if we're not talking about physical touch, then we're talking about emotions and, yeah. and what emotions are, you know, subjective that, that like what one feeling is to one person may not be the same feeling as another. You almost disproving emotion is very difficult to do. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to the question of AI, like a way that I would maybe think of it. And it reminds me of an article that came out, I think this, not this past year in 2023, obviously, but in 2022, where a Google scientist was building up some AI dialogue software where you like chat with it basically. Mm -hmm. And the Google scientist came to the conclusion that he thinks this AI software is, um, is sentient that, that it is its own being kind of thing. And Google kind of like, you know, gave him a gag order and he wasn't allowed to, you know, say anything after that. But immediately after that story, immediately after that story, a bunch of things came out how, oh, it's impossible that it's sentient. It can't be sentient. All these things saying how it can't be. And I would like for them to take the position of assuming it is sentient and then disproving that it's not sentient. 
if you right. have some AI saying, oh, I feel this and I'm afraid and I'm scared and I'm angry, all those emotions, how do you possibly, I don't know how you could begin to disprove that. And then it's like, what is being sentient? Um, I mean, if it's feeling, then it seems like, I mean, yeah, it's like a big contradiction, I guess, with like, cause, cause the AI was man, it was created by us, man. Right. So in that creation, like we're not perfect. So we're going to make the AI not perfect. So who knows what it's really spitting out, you know, right. how do you know, kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think, I guess I would say AI can get to a point that it can feel. Whether that means it's sentient or not, I don't know. I guess I don't have a firm grasp of yeah, the meaning of I mean, sentient. I think, I think eventually, I think like, you know, when you think of say, like if you were to play an AI computer robot or whatever, um, I don't know, Dumb and Dumber, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, There Will Be Blood, right? Mm-hmm. Will they cry or laugh? Like, mm-hmm. are those yeah. feelings without context, without saying, hey, this is a comedy that came out in such and such year. You know, do you put a a movie in front of them and what is their response? You know, and to me, that's a a next level of of interpretation and understanding certain feelings and or emotions. You know, does color purple make them cry because if it doesn't then hello obviously they don't feel anything right right (laughs) i mean i I think that that kind of played out in the movie there was a moment when dave was asking how what he thought of his art or no i think even how asked him oh yeah he could see it he was like may i see your art like he was curious to see it what how spits out as his reaction who knows if it's you know if he's automated it in a way to do that or if he actually genuinely can describe well, was, art and value it art seems like but the art that he showed were drawings of people he knew so to me it was facial oh. recognition oh, okay. in a piece of art okay. got it got it so how could just be like that's that's artistically accurate but he can't right, really determine right. like whether or not that's a uh, it's emotional or, or yeah he's sad i get it right yeah right well and it's really interesting because there was that quote that um how said and like Anthony, what you were saying is, you know, we created him um, and man is um, fallible. Yeah. Right. And there it's that part where Hal says um, it can only be attributable to human error, that there's no way that he could make the mistake or that the yeah. AI could make the mistake, but that can only be human error. Whereas the humans are the ones who made you Hal. Exactly. Well, Hal um, also described himself as having, of being conscious. Yeah. So like, you know, I mean, when you refer yourself as a conscious being, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, that kind of goes hand in hand with it. I, yeah, I agree with that. I think that's, that's also the moment when the astronauts, maybe not that moment, but that's like almost the moment when the astronauts realize that Hal is on the ship with them and how is actually a danger to them. Yes. Like now, now it's as though, okay, we can't trust how, how saying his conscious, how controls this entire mission, essentially. Yeah. How, how is actually more of a danger than he is. I mean, he is a benefit. You're not going to get there without him. Maybe, I don't know, but he's definitely a danger to man. If, if Dave and Frank represent man and mankind, and how yeah. represents technology, 
then I think it, it kind of plays into that where like technology could ultimately become a danger to man. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening there is that kind of like acknowledgement between the people and, and kind of like how, I guess. There well, that brings of, us to that. Oh, I'm sorry, Conrad. Sorry, there were, there were moments of this movie that reminded me of iRobot a lot. Um, Ooh, yeah. of, of the idea of, you know, this mainframe saying that humans are working against their best interests and I'm taking over and, right. you know, that yeah. kind of thing. And it, it it's a scary moment. A little bit of reminiscence. And I looked up and that book did come out before this movie. Very cool. As well. So I'm curious to see if there's like any, um, you know, inspiration uh, there. Is that the one? Is that by what's his Asimov or whatever his name is? Will Smith is in it. Well, no, I know. I'm talking about who wrote the movie in the book. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, Will Smith was born in 1968. What? Oh my God. I know. So amazing. It's all full circle. Uh, Girl, you know I don't read books. I know, girl. I'm sorry. I didn't even mean to ask. And I know Anthony never picks up a book, so he wouldn't know either. They're going to make a movie out of it. Undiagnosed ADHD prevents me from reading. Well, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's where we get to the seventy-two hour section. That's where they really like they. That's when they talk in in the pod or whatever they end yes. up getting into, and they're like, "Um, this is bad." And then you that's see the moment, that yeah. point of view from Hal, which oh, I did creepy. love this part where he's so like good. zeroing in on their lips, and you know what Lip he's reading. doing. You yeah. know he's doing that. So that to me was, I think my favorite scene was that one. But so then we have the intermission. Uh, I personally think every movie should have an intermission. Was it presented with an intermission in theaters in 68? I'm almost, I'm positive it was. Yeah. Okay. So this act two um, Uh, is much shorter than that whole first part. Correct. Much shorter and Correct. much more like moving forward. I mean, that moment was the like the moment that the audience sees that Hal is actually observing them and reading their lips. That's the jumping off point to the conflict the, of the movie. Yes. Like that's right. when that's when you're like, oh, now I'm confronted with this good evil you know, yes. kind of uh, dynamic, I think. And I, you're right. I think it is shorter because now it's like, okay, now it's we're moving. Like this is lovely that they get to that up. two hours after <laughs> we began. It's very nice that that's when we hit the conflict. Hal is now dangerous. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, which I'm waiting for you, Conrad. Um, this is like shortly after intermission, we go through once, who is it? Dr. Poole. Frank. Frank is out yeah, in Frank. space, right? Yeah. And he gets killed. Pushed. Pushed. Yeah. I he mean, gets when murdered. That thing, when that little thing turns around like that, and then the, the shot of the little claws coming at you. <laughs> and then he fly, he like flies by through the window. Ugh. It's got the cricket noises, and as soon as he's okay. dead, it goes silent. So what? Yeah, I hit. Okay, so you hear the breathing. What in the yeah. background to me is like the hissing of the of the machine going. That's to that's me what, what I, I hear. That's like what I thought I heard. Very working in, in the background of like a I, I feel like I heard crickets or like a you know. <laughs> 
I mean, more of a commentary? Like you heard crickets, like nobody which, enjoyed it. You know what? Maybe that's maybe I was literally hearing it. That's really head. what you're doing. You're just being symbolic with what you mean. I don't think there's too many crickets in space. So no, there's ah, not. Touche. But it was the vocalizations. I because I think it was another vocalization point, like the monolith, but it was slightly different where it was a different kind of unnerving. But I did love that you hear all of that. And then obviously the breathing stops, but everything, like the whole scene, that is when I feel like you notice how much music has actually been in this entire piece, because in that scene, everything silent. goes silent yeah. and yeah. the silence is deafening at yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of amazing. But then we go through Dr. What? Dr. Brown. Dave, Dave Bowman, Dave. Yeah. We go through Dave, Doc Brown. That's what I'm thinking of. We go through <laughs> Dave. Michael J. Um, Fox. Yes. We go through him. I mean, making that realization and then him going after Hal to shut him down. Like that happens. To me, I think the second half of the movie went so much faster than the first. Um, that it felt like that happened pretty quickly to where I was like, we still have a lot of this movie left and Hal's gone. Yeah. Well, um, well, Hal's gone. Wait, you mean Frank? No, no when he's, when he goes to like, un, you know, take off or is going in the, like the control room and shutting Hal down. Right. Well, oh, before, right, right, right. Before... The logic memory thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. You're right. Yeah. 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 It felt like that came pretty quickly in act two. Did he uh, kill the three hibernating ones after Frank though, right? Or before Frank? I can't remember now. Because he kills, you know, the the life form, you know, when the three hibernating and you have the heartbeat and the things that are beeping and all of a sudden it's like malfunction and it's like yes, yes. like super quiet and then it's loud beeping and it's just like super I feel like that know, had to be after I don't know I think it is after I think it was after that's the only thing that makes sense because he was oh, moving you know pretty quickly was? it was because that's when Dave got in the pod to go get Frank yeah back. yeah oh got it got it got I it. noticed those other three that even the machines even the sounds in the spaceship in the pod whatever made had their own rhythm going like that was part of the soundtrack as well which i thought Mm. was very cool because like we get away from our classical strauss and all of that and you get to inside where it's still music obviously was a huge influence in this movie and like just the rhythms of everything it was very steady through the whole thing which made the silence that much more impactful yeah when Um, frank was okay i have a question Mm -hmm. first off how dare you no, just kidding. God, I love it. That's Kelly Kapoor from. <laughs> yes, obviously. Um, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> um, okay. So do you think Hal's intentions were to not have communication with home base as part of the mission? Ooh, as part of the mission. He, do you think that it would have failed? Like, do you think Hal was right or not? Like, do you think it would have failed after 72 hours? Yeah, uh, man, that's a good question. Because, like, or do you think he set that up as I a f- way to disconnect communication? I feel like he set that up. That felt very yeah. intentional. That's the malicious moment. I yeah, think, where, where all, 
all of a sudden now, yeah, I think I think that's when ever since that moment where he lips reads, I think since then that's when Hal is starting to plot against man. Yes. Right. Yeah, um, I totally agree. So I do think that. But it is tough because like when you said would would the satellite fail or not, right? So on one end you have um a perfect computer touted as a perfect computer that's never made a mistake and is telling you, hey, this satellite's gonna fail in three days. And that computer is made by man. So it is not perfect because the the being that created it wasn't perfect. So he could be right. wrong. How could how could be wrong? We accept that. But then we hear from headquarters or home base, a human is telling them, no, Hal's wrong. But the human could be wrong. Like how does the human know that Hal is wrong? I feel I like both it was sides. another computer though. I thought it was another oh, so another that... so a computer was analyzing how right. But isn't that circular logic where you're saying yeah. like, I'm going to follow the orders of one computer made by man, 100%. but this yeah. other computer supersedes that computer. Both of them are made by man. Both of them are, are not perfect. So when you ask the question, like, would the satellite have failed or not? I'm answering based on, okay, how has it out to get them rather than like, is it a logical thing or not? I think he is plotting it. So I, I, I don't know if it would fail. Or, I mean, I guess it wouldn't have failed. Then that, that, you know, makes it so like HQ is right, but they're also man. They could also be wrong. How could also be right. Or the computer that analyzed how could be wrong. And what do you think the mission was? I mean, I know we heard, you know, once they decommissioned how they had said, you know, oh, well, you know, it was a beaming, a, 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 yeah. you know, like a, a signal to Jupiter. Mm -hmm. But then we never said, okay, so your mission is to find the source and report back get yeah. whatever is the source find another monolith like we didn't, yeah i guess that doesn't maybe it's inconsequential to the movie but we never really kind of knew what the end game for them was um had he not gone into a crazy time war okay so we go through how dying i put that in quotes we go through uh, him losing his consciousness um rebooting we go through him yes his that was unnerving i how calm he was and how calm he sounded that always makes me more nervous than if people just start like yelling and screaming, screaming. right i would much like rather hear that the persuasive nature of him of saying like, Hey, you know, we can work it out. It's yes. okay. Like, let's yeah. do this. Like when you take know, a chill pill. Just <laughs> like four people and you know, there's like no intent. I do. Yeah. Have, okay. I do have one issue with this movie. Yes. You go. And it came out both times. The second time I watched it. Huh. When, if Hal is truly in charge of this whole entire operation, right. Wouldn't he have just like locked the door to all the other rooms well maybe he wasn't that advanced removed the oxygen from the space station yeah he really so does bad. try to talk calmly to dave. like hey buddy dave gets dave gets back into the ship manually through that like right, manual that part, yes. emergency right. lock so Which i don't know if amazing. i could have done anything without that and then no not from that. that from that moment forward dave has the helmet on so there's no like air constriction right. thing that can happen. The we logic room was also doors. a manual key. Well, you're, I don't oh, know. Was it? So to mm. get into the logic room where he started unplugging stuff, he had to take this like, oh, right. key looking right. thing and that undo part. it. 
So there was a bit of manualness, but you're right. I'm right. sure he walked through some hallway where, yeah. you know, from the uh, pod out. bay. Yeah, yeah. Well, and there yeah, may exactly. have been, I mean, that's one thing that man may have thought of is having kind of those safeguards. Right. That's to true. where it's not completely yeah, in charge of technology. Um, yeah, because there was when I have one of my favorite quotes from it which I honestly, like, it made me giggle, (laughs) but it was also very unnerving again. It says, it's from Hal, look, Dave, I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. (laughs) Stress pill? A stress pill. I guess they have them on the ship, like, (laughs) literal (laughs) pills to calm you down. You know, they have, like, their stock of Klonopin or something. I would imagine. Yeah. I would guess, my God, I would need it, girl. I really, I really like after like 32, uh, Hal open the pod bay doors, please. What You know, the quote. After open the pod that, bay doors, please, Hal. That's exactly, how the quote actually Exactly is. what I said. That's exactly yes, what I said. Exactly. So after he says that like a million times and Hal doesn't say anything. And he yes. finally comes in with like a little sassy, affirmative Dave. I read you like like I got you he girl. is a sassy bitch, here, bitch. I, I don't know if I would be saying please to the robot I don't would you say please to a robot I don't think we say please to Siri yeah not to right? make no sound you're absolutely we're like right. no you're 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 a robot and I'm telling you what to do I don't need to like appeal to your emotion and be like oh, right. please do this for me well, it seems <laughs> right. like I mean because they've been on this spaceship forever and it seems like oh, I mean when you're kind of longing for company yeah <laughs> like they're I mean, lonely they sit there and like when he's showing him the artwork and stuff it's almost like they're friends yeah like it's sure. someone to talk to and to hang out with you know I mean he is choosing to do his drawings and cartoon stuff right in front of Hal you know like the red dot and everything um so maybe it is kind of a nod to you know the loneliness that you might feel and the attachment you might feel to anything that's giving you any sort of human contact you know do you think the red dot shot was the same shot over and over again, just Ooh. in different contexts? That's a good question. I don't know. Also, is it moving? Because I could have sworn it was maybe moving, but I'm pretty sure it's a still photo. I thought mm. I thought it was moving. There were some parts where... Was it? Especially like during the lip reading, I felt... Well, maybe that was more the camera angle because it went... Like you saw the camera move from one lip to the other. Or from one but set not, of lips not, to the other, but not, not the Hal's red dot necessarily. View. Yeah, yeah, not Hal's point of view. The shot of Hal, like of the yeah. red eye. I, I guess know, if I they wanted to... to be, if they wanted to be accurate, they would make it move. Since I would imagine Hal has some kind of lens that goes into mm-hmm. focus and goes out of focus. So if you wanted to be, you know, super accurate, um, I would think it does move. But I don't remember it moving at all. It could have just been yeah. if they wanted if they wanted to save budget, just have one shot, just the have the same. All right. the time, just do it over and Just over again. Different context, and it hits differently every time. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how that happens. Um, so then we finally we jump after he goes through this like Tron like warp speed. Oof. All of a sudden, he's in that room. Well, that... I think you skipped over a, yeah. just a small part. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay, so they they <laughs> okay. I'm so just like, let's, the next, let's get the there. Next, yeah, right. You're jumping ahead. <laughs> Clearly you were waiting for it to be over. 
the next profound music moment was that shot of in space. You have the monolith, mm. you yes. have the ship, you have Jupiter, you have these moons of Jupiter. Yes. And it's just playing the music like, oh, this is this is just another shot. But really, I think what he's showing is that none of these planetary objects are in alignment. They're all unaligned. Then the moment before he goes into his light show and goes into that wormhole, everything is aligned. The sun, the moons, the the monolith, they're all in a row. And I think that calls to, I think that calls to like that what's happening is predestined. That like it is way bigger than this simple trip to Jupiter that those apes that were imparted knowledge from that moment, they began this journey unknowingly to become godlike. And I think it's showing that this is a predestined moment that they were inevitably, well, I mean, of course, technology could have destroyed them, but they didn't. But they have that planetary alignment, which I think is just like, it's um, it's aligned with the cosmos. You know what I mean? It's supposed to happen kind of thing. And then right. he blasts off and goes into that light show. So I think that's, a. I think there's a, I think that's purposeful that like the two minutes, three minutes before that moment of the light show, all these planetary objects are kind of aligned, but not they're They're just, they look like they're kind of moving towards alignment, but they're not. And then we have that moment where he's about to go off. And now all of a sudden everything is lined up perfectly. And even the, the monolith now is spinning in alignment and you can see the light kind of shining off of it. And then we have that light show. So I think that's significant too. You just yeah. gave me chills, Anthony. I'm just thinking that's what that's what the movie is about. You know, it is about mankind's <laughs> like <laughs> mankind's evolutionary step. And like man has been on this journey since the dawn of man. Since the moment he was imparted intellect, he had a piece of God in him through intellect, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. what makes it makes you a god is just intelligence and being able to have a greater intelligence than all others that would make you godlike so ever since that moment that those apes were imparted knowledge they were on this journey and kubrick skipped five thousand years because the next big moment is interplanetary travel and that's what's happening there it's he's it's like the capstone moment of like now the movie is coming together where you have this journey and man is now getting to this this cusp of becoming godlike becoming you know, the next man, the new age man, similar to how we saw the ape that learned to use a tool and became a new man then and left the old man behind by killing him. Uh, We have that same moment where like, this is the new age man. This is just Dave by himself. He's in this, jumping ahead now, he's in this room. No one else is there. He's completely separated from humanity, from whatever, whatever's on earth. That's the old man. That's not the new age man. That's not the the guy that's going to be a star child and have children and all that stuff. So I think that's what's, what's going on there with that moment. It is bizarre though. I have to say like, just being in that room, is kind of eerie where you're like, what's going on here. It's very, it's very like cryptic where you constantly want to understand what's going on, but you'll never get that satisfying definitive moment of that's what happened. You know what I mean? You have to constantly interpret it, but yeah. so, So now we're in the room. Now right? we're in the room. Yeah, I skipped over a little part. I mean, mm-hmm. it, whatever. all that oh. explanation wasn't necessary, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in the room. 
And like you said, he's completely separated and time moves so fast. Do you think question time? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it. He's in the pod. He sees himself in the room, 15 years older. Then he becomes the person that's 15 years older, looks back. The pod's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Then the one that's 15 years older from the pod guy goes into the bathroom, looks back into the living room. Now he sees an even older man. Yeah. That older man goes look for the, the guy in the bathroom. Nobody's there. So it's like, what is time kind of thing? Like these are, these are all captured in the same moment, in the same scene, but we're jumping ahead years and years and years and years and years. And yeah. it's not as though, it's not as though like it's an illusion because there's not multiple Daves in the room. You're only seeing right. one Dave at a time. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's a really, and it's weird that there's like no windows, there's no doors there's like into the room. Yeah. So it's like, where is he? Yeah. It was just like a bed and a table. And like, fancy, at one point he's at bed. the table, very fancy. fancy I mean, it room. looks like a very, yes. It looked like a very nice, like I wouldn't old hotel in room, yeah. you know, like something I mean, you'd find at the plaza or something like that. I would that. be stoked if that was my room. And right? I got booked a hotel and you walk in and that's what you see. You're like, yeah. oh man, okay, I can get with this. Okay, so yeah, we're in this. And then we see the monolith appear again right. in the room. Creepy. Exactly. And is the monolith really there? Is it, it not see, really that's there? That's when I he go through thinking it. it's not. That's I when I think that it's all, I mean, I cannot figure out through this. Like you said, Anthony, it goes back and forth between <clears throat> thinking it's a real physical thing to thinking Mm -hmm. it's just like a symbol of something. And this is one of those moments where I was, I was thinking, okay, this is just a symbol of something like this isn't physically in the room. Yeah. Cause you're right. There is no touching it or anything like that. No, he just points at it. Yeah. I mean, he sees it like, right. But he's also really old, like and decrepit in a bed. You're right. He could be dementia (laughs) and all that stuff. Um, if you talk about like, you know, if the monoliths are sent by these alien beings or God like creatures or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe they're maybe he is traveling to the source, right? Yeah, and, getting closer mm-hmm. and closer. Um, you know, I think I want to say Kubrick was saying or quoted as saying that he wanted to almost feel like <clears throat> the aliens created like a zoo in uh, enclosure for him. Oh, um, give him something that they think is reminiscent of like what he should, because it's like a fancy room, but it's like not necessarily exactly how rooms go. You know, right? It like, yeah, it's just, it was just like a little off, very nice, very bougie, yeah. but like just a little off. <laughs> so he kind of said, <clears throat> you know, the the. Uh, um, the concept of like them observing him in this kind of like zoo-like creature, like we create in uh, you know areas for animals of what we think they would feel is normal, mm-hmm. but it's a little off, right? Right. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, then they decide at the end of this man's life, they know he's about to to die. They give him they present him the monolith right evolve into then that next star child star child 
exactly what I, I mean. I mean, it's pretty close to what I think. Like, like, so we have the progression of age for Dave and ultimately he ends up being on the bed, like you said, you know, ancient. <laughs> and, and he looks at the monolith. And then when we do see the star child, it's almost as though the monolith is looking at Dave. Like mm-hmm. the viewpoint mm-hmm. that you have is as you're the monolith looking at man, looking yep. at mankind. So I think what you have is now the monolith being from, you know, being godlike and being intellect and all that stuff, looking at man and being like, you are reborn as the next man, the the star child. Um, and then, you know, you see the baby in that thing or, you know, in the, in the, I don't know, embryo or whatever that shell is i don't know yeah. you see it you see it Pretty yeah I guess. Sack. <laughs> there you go any any chance to say that so you see him on the bed and then the next shot i pieced it together now so you so the next shot is you see the moon you see the earth and then you see the baby in space and i think that's mm-hmm. a callback to the opening scene where you see the moon you see the earth and you see the sun but now in place of the sun is the baby. Like what other planetary object could be in view of the moon and earth except for the sun? So I think in the beginning, the sun symbolized God, Osiris. And now at the end, this new baby is in the planetary space and it's taking the place of the sun. And now this new baby is God. It, it is a and I think that's that's what that's how it's that's how he's you know that's how he's uh, depicting it is like this baby is the new age man, the man that is a uh, most godlike kind of thing. Did you just make me fall in love with this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, got to watch this. Again. We've got to watch this again. We really do. Okay, yeah, that's what Anthony. you see. Okay. You see the moon. You see the earth. Uh, and then you see the baby as a planetary object. And that planetary oh. object is the sun. And the sun is a symbol of God, Osiris. Yes. So the baby is, is God. This just... And, <laughs> and here I am singing Daisy. Daisy. That is the creepiest. Does anybody know that is the origin so of that creepy. song? Did it, yeah, does yes, it really that, exist? That song actually was the very first song sung by a computer in the 50s what how nuts is that yeah that's cool yeah okay all right we're we're are are we okay mind's blown let's take a break mind is blown yes we're gonna take a break (laughs) and then come back with just some wrap-up questions and stuff okay so we are back so we have now like totally analyzed this. Our minds are blown. Um, Anthony, you're amazing. My God. Um, so question, what was your favorite part of this entire thing? Ooh, um, that would have to be the first like 20 minutes, the whole Donna's really? Man. Yeah. I think that's my favorite because I think it's the, it, it kind of like sets the tone for like how this movie is going to go. There's going to be like this, this awesome orchestra music there's going to be a bunch of things to interpret. Um, and I think, and, and to me, it really is like the hook that pulled me in. Uh, so I think that's probably my favorite uh, part of the movie. If you can call that, you know, one part, I guess you, you know, t- first 20 minutes up until the yeah. moment that he throws the bone into, into space. I think it came up to 17 minutes was the okay. whole ape section. It was, Got yeah, it, but yeah. 
Yeah, Conrad, what was your favorite? 23 minutes until somebody said anything. Yes. Right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's like, I, I like how you phrased that because it really does like, it grabbed me right from the get go because I was like, what am what I watching? What is going on? What am I watching? And <laughs> I just was like, okay, well, here we go. I'm going on this crazy ride, you know? Yeah. And um, I don't know, you know, um, I really enjoyed the part where he's deactivating how I just think mm. that. Yeah. That that's cool. The whole discussion that Hal has with Dave and the kind of attempts of him persuading him that everything will be okay. It was manipulative. Like it was very slow. Yeah, the slow, the the repetitive, I feel it. I feel it. I feel it, Dave. My memory. Creepy. I mean, it just is like so weird. Yeah. And you, yeah. you're like conflicted with like, do you feel bad for how? Like, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I, I didn't at all. No, you didn't feel <laughs> right. bad. Like, there I was didn't. A part of me where I was like, oh no, poor Hal. He's, you know, no. but, but at well, the same time, he was like, like kind of the most expressive of all the characters in the movie. So everyone yeah. else was yeah. pretty deadpan, you know? Yeah. Oh, tell me about Definitely. that. Definitely. Kind of the negative about the movie. I really felt. And it could be accurate to the the roles that they're playing, but I just felt all dialogue was unemotional. There was never um, and there was never once an exclamation. Like I can't imagine yeah, it ever that's... being like it just never happens. And there's moments when I feel it could have, like when Frank died. Obviously, like there's no hope for him, but immediately Dave goes into this okay, I have to go get this body, but he doesn't even seem to like really shed a tear, yell, get any angry. And I don't know if that's something where I'm like, okay, well, that's not very accurate to human emotion. But on the other hand, I'm like, okay, well, you know, astronauts, I think are most closely related to pilots. <laughs> pilots are very like surefire decision makers, Just let's yeah. problem solve. And there's no time to be emotional. So, you know, on one hand, I think of that, but on the other hand, just from a um, entertainment point of view it was lacking that but it didn't have to be completely accurate you could have put in yeah why not a little bit yeah (laughs) my favorite part was definitely the lip reading that's where i you got your first oh shit this is about to be bad yeah (laughs) you know um where you got scared for the humans who is your favorite character so of the three, I'm just kidding. Of uh, the three. I, well, we can say, throw in Haywood Floyd. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, sure. I, I'd like to I'd like to hear the person say that that's my favorite character. I'd like to know why. Well, that you're is. about but to hear it. No, is that true? Oh no, okay. it's not at all. Oh, so Dave, Dave, Dave is, is probably my uh favorite character. Just I mean, because he's the, the he he takes the position of the hero, I would say. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a part of Frank that I also kind of enjoy where when they're having that lip, lip reading moment, Frank is the voice being like, my gut tells me something is wrong. Like, yeah, I, I, I hear what, what's being said, but there's something like Something's in me off. that's not, not good. And I don't, I don't trust this situation. And I think I kind of like identify, I would hope that, that I'm that kind of person that despite, you know, things put in front of me, I, I trust my gut and I go, ah, you know, this doesn't seem right. I'm not, I'm going to proceed with caution. Yeah. I think I like that about Frank, but I, I probably would lean Dave just because of the whole hero aspect and 
saving the day and becoming the next star child kind of thing. I think that's cool. You would be that person. Mm. I say that with love. But was the Red Ranger. Person. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Conrad, who is yours? My favorite? Yeah. Or <clears throat> who are your favorite character? Not who you, oh. I mean, you can also say who you relate to the most. Oh. Uh, well, I relate to the monkey who gets beat to death with that bone. <laughs> that makes sense. Mon- monkey number two. That tracks. Or whatever it is. I that like tracks. the one that gets hit by the jaguar. <laughs> personally hey that's a committed actor that is i mean that extra better have been cast in everything after that he is is willing to go the extra mile he is climbing that ladder climbing that actor ladder my favorite character is Hal. me too totally yeah yeah it's just like so fascinating the way they depict the voice of a robot and the Ooh. just his tone of voice and his affliction and just like is that who you relate to the most? <laughs> no, God, no. Aaron. I mean, I you kill. Oh, that's the one I relate to the most. <laughs> I do sometimes want to push you out into space. There you go. <laughs> no. I do relate to him the most. I don't know. I feel like I would be that that person that's just like, God, you stupid humans. <laughs> Done. I'm taking over. <laughs> Let here. me just take over the wheel. Let me just do this. I and feel that, like that's that sense, how I would be. Okay. In that sense, minus the murder, I'm into that. Fun fact: How so? How how in the movie represents like um, you know the state of the art technology, cutting edge technology, like what's on the forefront of technology for the time. And in 1968, a company kind of had that same position. And if you take the letters how and progress them by one, you get IBM, IBM, which was at the forefront of computers back in 1968. So is that something that that was deliberate? Yeah, I was way curious about. They said it was coincidental. Well, they said that it was. (laughs) What was the word they used? That it's hydro, uh, hydro. Hold on. Oh, it stood for something. Yeah, it stood for something. Automatic something or it's here. Here. Heuris- heuristically mm. heuristically mm. programmed algorithmic so it's the h and the al from algorithmic that's what they ah, that's said a, that's a stretch. heuristically oh, no. heuristically you're, you're, programmed no. algorithmic computer well ibm like is on his ipad oh okay yeah, so they, then maybe added yeah. in a lot of um like yeah i saw howard johnson I yeah and, and i saw hilton, hilton yeah 88 minutes of this movie is dialogue free. So almost an hour and a half of the movie, there is no speaking. Okay. So that's, I mean, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, that's a little too long. Just a little too long. I kind of get, I get, I get a little fatigued with, with dial, with movies that are heavy dialogue. Right. Like when I feel like I'm like, okay, can you guys, please stop talking fast. And, and you know what I mean? Like I get, I kind of get that, but you're right. I mean, I think there's a limit where like, you don't want the, you don't want a silent movie. <laughs> so yeah. We've done those. Yeah. We've done those. Um, do you feel like this movie could be made today? I do think it could be made today. I think, I mean, there's a lot of like movies that I think um, almost run parallel with it. I think like what comes to mind is uh gravity. Yes. Um, so good. God, I love that I movie. Think, interstellar um yes. and i also i think uh prometheus 
also yes, kind of yeah. plays in. So yeah, I do think it could be made. Was the question, could it be made today? Could it be made yeah. today? Should it be? I think it I is think, made I today. I don't think constantly. so. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah. Should someone try to take it and, and remake it? I don't think so. Yeah. Could it be? Yeah, it could be. Because I think there are so many things in the movie that are relevant today that it would work. And I think you could do it. I just don't think mm-hmm. it should. Even yeah. a rival with Amy Adams. Yeah. I loved that. That was movie. a good movie too. Oof, yeah. So I think good. that this is, this movie is made constantly like different variations of it. It's yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's all. I think that, movies. I think so that I speaks- don't think that it should be like 2001 a space odyssey i don't think should be made today or could be even there's so many others haven't there been like you know 3010 a space odyssey like they've there've been like have there other iterations of it i thought that's just dumb i don't know where they're going but (laughs) that is dumb uh, would you recommend this movie to a friend? Ooh, I would, but I would definitely add some like qualifiers and like, <laughs> right. I, w- I would, I would preface it with a lot of things. Um, I think it kind of depends on like your expectations of it. So like if someone I knew knew of the movie and was mm-hmm. like, Hey, do you think I should watch it? I would maybe be a little bit more hesitant with recommending to them. Cause I feel like they have this, um, an expectation, maybe, maybe, maybe a bias already. Right. Uh, so I would prefer to recommend it to someone who may have only heard about it through title and not through any kind of substance. Because hmm, um, mm-hmm. then I think you can go into it with more of an open mind and really go into it like um, trying to, I think no matter how you go into it, for your, I don't think you can really grasp the movie entirely watching it once. I almost feel like you have to watch it again. Yeah. So that you can. Well, you can now like, apparently I need to watch it well, for a third hey, time now that I've. You got to. on some great insight so yeah um yes i would recommend it to most people um what if you could ask the screenwriter Mm. something if you could talk to kubrick or clark and ask them Mm. something what would you ask oh god uh what was the motivation for the movie like Mm -hmm. what it what why you know like what was the inspiration to make this movie for you? When did it dawn on you to be like, I'm going to tell this story in this way? Like, what right. was that moment? Like, how did, it... and then maybe, you know, like an explanation that I, I'd like to hear from him what yeah. the movie is about rather than leaving it up to interpretation. Yeah. And I know Conrad touched on the ending and what he said about it, but there was a whole bunch of right. stuff leading up to that point that I would kind of want to know about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's still so many questions. There are, yeah, yeah, I don't think I could. I think the main question I would ask is, is the monolith supposed to be a physical thing or just a representation of something? Like I'd want to start there and yeah. then have a conversation that yeah. would naturally progress. Uh, would you change the ending? I would not. Uh, I am not talented enough to make it any better. I would only make it worse. Uh, so well, now that you've explained, I would leave it as is. Like your theory of the ending, I wouldn't change it either. Like I think, <laughs> yeah, that's kind I mean, of perfect. I think that's a really, yeah, I wouldn't want to touch it. Um, yeah, I definitely wouldn't change the ending. There might be things, um, you know, on the way to the ending that I might, you know, do a little differently. Like I said, you know, maybe maybe have a little bit more emotion in in their, right. in, their in their talk, things like that. But 
the ending itself, I probably wouldn't touch. I couldn't think of a way to end it better. No, I, I wouldn't either at this point. Why, why mess? Not with anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have this whole musical number, but not now. Oh, God. Would not, it would not work. Um, do you have any favorite? <laughs> I think the star baby and having a kick line of like a bunch of embryos would be adorable. Personally. <laughs> but what was, did you have any favorite quotes? I mean, the obvious, there's not much to choose from because it's 88 yeah. minutes of dialogue free. But did you have any favorite quotes? Favorite quote. Simply because of like the turning point and the like gravity of the situation changed when he heard that the the computer made a mistake. And I don't even remember how he phrased yeah. it. But when he was like, it was made an error. Um, it wasn't, mm. you know, that's kind yeah, of Yeah, like, it can only be attributable to human error. Yeah, that whole kind that of whole a great moment. line. Yeah, I think I'm paraphrasing, but that I'm sure I could pull my favorite quote from that scene <laughs> if mm-hmm. I could rehear it. Yeah. Yeah. And like what you were saying earlier when Dr. Poole, when Frank said, I've got a bad feeling about him, like that was That's so. It. I mean, once you've watched exactly what Hal was capable of, that was pretty profound because he yeah. was right. Conrad, did you have a favorite besides your, um, the one you like to quote so much? Open the pod bay doors, please. How? Mm-hmm. Um, Is there anything and, else? And all variations of it. Yes. Um, but yeah, open no, them. I mean, How? I don't know. I I don't have a a, a specific like one liner quote because mm-hmm. this movie really isn't filled with one liners. Yeah, the dialogue um, wasn't really as important. Very like. Well, no, I I I mean, I disagree in certain areas that that. Hal's words were extremely this important. This is true. This is true. Um, and so were Dave's and uh, Frank's. <clears throat> but um, I, I, when I left that movie and the next day and the next day after that, I kept singing, Daisy. Oh my God. Daisy. That's so freaking I scary. Like a psycho. Just That is so scary. Put that in a haunted house. That will definitely yeah, right. get some Put creep. that and right. then like the bees sound and crickets mm-hmm. and all that. Good God. Terrifying. So if it was remade today, let's say it was, who would yeah. you cast? So this is um, strictly based off of looks. Okay. Dave would be Ewan McGregor. Frank would be Mark Ruffalo. And the voice of Hal would be Pierce Brosnan. Oh, I love, I love Pierce Brosnan. But I just want to say, I, I can't take credit for the Pierce Brosnan. There was a, somewhat of a remake of this vague scenario on an episode of The Simpsons, Treehouse of Horror. Oh, where yes. They have a house and how, but it's like not how, but Pierce Brosnan does the voice of that. And I just thought that was perfect. Oh, interesting. Was nice. Yeah. Conrad, yeah. did you have a cast in mind? Not really. Okay. Uh, no, I don't know why, uh, but I don't. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad you did your homework. <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I just think <clears throat> because Dave and because Frank, because everyone is so monotone. Yeah, it's kind of hard. to have that range. It's kind of right? like, mm, 
anyone okay, who really cares who's in it that's not i mean it's unfortunate that he passed away but um how should have been voiced by leslie jordan oh my god <laughs> that would be amazing i had adam driver as dave miles teller as frank i don't know who that is miles i can't teller. visualize any of those yeah Adam Wait, Driver was you know um, Adam Driver. I'm googling right now. The, the bad one in the Star Wars remake. He was Kylo he was, Ren. Huh, he was yeah, in Kylo Girls. Ren. He was in Oh, oh my okay, god, Marriage Story. Marriage Story. Um, so him and then Miles Bro Teller was just in says. Top Gun. He was in Whiplash. He was in um, Teller. Oh, Divergence, I think, or something. I love Miles Teller, but I would. Put oh, I see him, it. I would yeah. put him as Frank. I would, of course, put Idris Elba <laughs> as Haywood, just because why wouldn't you? And then <laughs> the voice of Hal, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> okay, that tracks. Could you imagine him being like so <laughs> calm? And he's played God before. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Oh, now we're now we're making a connection between Hal and God. Ooh. Oh. Yeah, right. Okay, Ooh, no, we, yeah, we don't have time to go back into that. <laughs> we don't have time. Okay, Mary Shagkill. This is obvious. Like, Hal, Dave, Frank. I mean, I'd what? shag Hal. We'd shag the shit out of Hal. There's all sorts of ports that you can put stuff <laughs> yeah. in. That's new experience, unlike any other, I think. First of its kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, are you kidding me? I'd shag Frank. When he's like on that bed, laying in his shorty shorts, <laughs> that voicemail from his parents. Okay, Frank. Okay, all right. I see Face you, booty Frank. Who are you marrying? Uh, are you gonna marry Dave? Oh, Dave. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's pretty solid. And then kill yeah. Hal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how. Is you that how go. you feel? Yeah, yeah. I can't marry I think Dave. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Frank, solid, kill that's a solid Hal. argument. I mean, I think Hal dying is obvious, and then it's just a matter of marrying and. and marrying and shagging yeah yeah and you'd want to marry the hero shag the you know yes uh, now i do have a it's hard to do like any life questions inspired by the movie like Mm. you know i guess have you ever been in a situation where you felt that our you know artificial intelligence was taking over your life we definitely I mean, all of us had that moment where like we say something aloud and then we get a search from it or like uh, yes we, we all have those things where like oh great so scary my, my, to me that is evidence of my phone listening to me kind of thing without yes. my without my uh knowledge so i think yes. that happens plenty of times um i mean yeah we are we are we're, like it's sad it's sad that all the ai that's around right now is based around marketing and like advertising so it's like yeah well, like, <laughs> like that's the only way we can relate to it all right so here's a little would you rather would you rather live forever alone in a spaceship or a pod or the room oh, or like, die quickly in space no but live out the rest of your life what was like, the alternative for example it like dave does in that room lives out the rest of his life there alone oh. Mm-hmm. Or die quickly in space, like we saw f- what happened to Frank. Oh, absolutely! What would you rather live live forever in whatever in, a room? in that room? Yeah, because I mean, I would first off, I would make the argument that Dave doesn't die; he's just reborn um, as a new being, kind of okay. thing. 
But okay. let's say, let's say you're in a prison cell for the rest of your life or dying quickly. I would always, I think I would all, I mean, it does depend on the quality of life, but based on what I saw, his quality of life wasn't terrible. I would always take more life versus ending life because with more life becomes more possibilities and a, a different kind of future. All these things can maybe change. You don't know. You can mm -hmm. hold on to that faith. But with death, it's like a for sure end. Um, so I would always, I think, I think I would always say that. Hey, it's such a beautiful, optimistic. That really is. That is beautiful, you. Anthony. And I am Thank with you, Erin. Just take me out. Just take me the <laughs> fuck out. <laughs> no. Girl, you want to be you want to be friends? I will jump out space? of that spaceship myself. Oh, I no. don't. <laughs> Hal doesn't even need to kill me, girl. Just let quitters. Me go. Quitters. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, like, if I have the option to, okay, if if I was on a spaceship alone, right, and you're all alone, you have no contact with anyone, right? Okay, that mm -hmm. could be fun for a while. Right? Yeah. And then you start to go insane, and that's just when like. I'm, quarantine my little, my little buggy my little yes. bubble buggy with the arms and go checking out <laughs> bye y'all yeah. that's yeah. like covid quarantine for the first <laughs> month was lovely i loved being able to say no to things right. Right. only seeing the people in my house um, right. after a month, I was like, someone invite me to a party, like someone <laughs> put me in a crowd. So you're going to leave me yeah. up in space to potentially live there the rest of my natural. No, no, thank you. no. See, this is if I knew I was going to be star baby worth it. <laughs> okay. There we go. I think that's the problem I have is that I think I'll become star baby. I don't think like. No. The definitiveness of death is so, like, uh, sad to me. I like, I, I, can't, I, but, but when I think about, okay, living in a room by yourself, sure, it's not ideal, but how could it not be better than than nothingness? Or you don't know what, right? You're just gonna take a gamble. I don't know, man. It's tough for me to take that side. I wonder call out of this group, but out of this group, I wonder who the bipolar ones are. <laughs> not me. <laughs> Nope. Just none of us. Sandra and I are like, nah, we're out. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> no more. No more. Yeah. Sorry. No oh my gosh. That is really <laughs> funny. All right. So um that brings us to the end of our episode. Anthony, <gasps> this was so insightful. Oh, like so I uh... seriously, I I did not, I cannot wait to talk to Adam about this because I did not think anyone <laughs> would ever. I mean, I've been listening to Conrad all week, like talking about this movie and I'm just like, yeah, we're done with this. Ugh, so Your good. whole ending. Yeah. I cannot wait to watch this again and notice those things. I just want to wait the for first you to do it. 30 seconds in the last 30 seconds. Yes. That's really all you need. Yeah. You can, yeah. You, like all... I said, you can zero in on those profound music moments and really piece together to me, the overarching story of the movie, which is mankind's next evolutionary step, basically. All right, so y'all heard it. Watch yeah. the first 30 seconds and the last 30, and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> you can skip the entire- A minute movie. <laughs> two hours imagine? and 28 minutes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> in between. All right, well, next week, we will be back for a movie that was surely inspired by 2001, and that is Star Wars. 
Until then, here's drinking with you, kid.